0: Hey, this is the Game Down Rockets Top Podcast. This is episode 182. I know that because Joel Hollingsworth is here and he told me. Joel, how's it going?
1: I am doing well, and that's about all I know. Episode 182. Uh, there's my contribution for the evening.
0: Right. The reason that's Joel's contribution for the evening in part is not because you're going to listen to me talk to myself for however long this goes, but because we have two separate conversations we'd like to talk about tonight, and we thought both of them would benefit from our old friend Chris Penley from the Rocky Top Talk days. Chris was last heard on a fantastic uh, Best Worst Basketball uh, uh, Season compilation pod uh, a little bit ago. We're going to talk some basketball tonight, and we're going to talk some Josh Heupel tonight. So you can't see this, but Chris is wearing a home field apparel smoky shirt, which uh, warms all the fuzzies and all that good stuff. Chris, how are you? I'm doing all right. Excellent. So here's a question if if you have listened to our podcast at all this year, if you've read anything we've written, there's been a lot of this sense of we're still learning how to watch football this way, right? There's this sense of even right away, like the bowling green game, the first drive of the game, I remember thinking, okay, like I don't even know how to process. It's one thing to watch a team go this fast when it's not your team. It's a whole other thing entirely to watch Tennessee do it. Now we've seen Tennessee do it for 12 games and and for the most part do it, Pretty well, so we want to. The first half of this, we want to have just a conversation on uh, when we keep asking, "How do we watch a Josh Heupel team?" What have we learned? And for Chris, who I'm going to say of the three of us is the expert in this brand of football overall. What have his takeaways been on watching this, and and what can we do? So, I mean, obviously, Chris is first time you're on with us this year. At seven and five at the at the end of this thing, what's what's your general impressions? What are your general takeaways from what you've seen with Josh Hypel year one, Tennessee?
2: I would not have expected this team to be this good if he told me in August that they were gonna go seven and five. No way. I honestly would have accepted five and seven. I would have accepted something that looks like a consistent philosophy. I would have accepted not actively hating watching Jeremy Pruitt's offense. Um, it got real dire the last year and a half, quite frankly. Um, it was not super fun watching watching a team try its best to go seventeen four, seven, to win games 17-14 with 12 putts. Um, so I was expecting that towards the end of the year, it would look kind of like a high team. I didn't think they were going to be able to go this fast this fast Um, there were some things that i'd picked up from watching ucf where i knew i I knew we were going to be running into a lot of this updated tempo a lot of the super hype this super speed that hypo likes hypo likes to do i was concerned about the defense i was pleasantly surprised about that Um, so I have, I do have, do I have concerns going forward? Yeah, we'll get into them. Um, cause I haven't seen some things improve that I would eventually hope to, or but like, whatever, man, it's year one, it's seven and five. We actually have a fun team to watch. People who don't have vested interest in Tennessee are like, yeah, Tennessee football is fun again. And like, how long has it been since able to say that?
0: Like, yeah, oh. I mean, it's, it's, how long since Tennessee has been fun? They're the Josh Dobbs era was was fun and then like it was why are we not having more fun right which is that's one of the worst conversations you can have as a football fan is why aren't we should be having more fun than this the Mike DeBoer early Mike DeBoer conversations and that sort of thing and then the pressures of all that but I think you know when you talk about saying I would have been okay with five and seven I think that's one thing about this team is on our side in the win total thing, the, the preseason consensus was 6.7 and they hit seven. So it, it wasn't that some of this is schedule related maybe, but it, it wasn't that I think they overachieved so much in wins and losses. It's just, I know there was a version of this where we would right now be talking about, okay, well, we got beat by Alabama and Georgia by 40 and we lost to Missouri and we weren't competitive with Pittsburgh and, you know, we we uh, got beat by Kentucky, but we squeaked one out against South Carolina and we squeaked one out against Missouri and we're six and six and going to the Liberty Bowl and, hey, this is progress. And what actually happened, obviously, is a very different and and much more exciting brand of progress where. You know, not only did Tennessee get to seven and five, but but really smoked two teams that ended up being bowl eligible teams, you know, competitive with everybody, played a much harder schedule than they thought. And so is is there like, what surprised you about this team? Like knowing, you mentioned defense, knowing, okay, here's what Heupel does. Here's what he did at UCF. Is there anything at the end of this year that like you most take away and say this this looked like a... Heupel team, but this really actually surprised me. It, it, it was something new, maybe a new wrinkle for this team. So
2: this is going to sound weird. The thing that surprised me with this Heupel team was on the defensive side of the ball. Heupel's teams. So let's take a step back, right? We talk about big plays. We talk about explosive plays. Um, that's kind of how we think about how we think about football. You think about this. You think about a 10 play drive, right? You think about a 12 play drive. Change the word. We're thinking about the drives now. We're thinking about the drives and results. That's kind of how Hypo works because you can chain the bunch of plays together to create a drive. And the flip side of it is the is typically it turns into a almost a lot of his games would turn into like functional tennis, right? Best example here is gonna, no, best example here is the Kentucky game, right? Where Elante Taylor broke serve and that was it, right? Elante Taylor hit, Elante Alante Taylor, catches a pick six, Tennessee jumps in front. And then it's kind of this just back and forth volley. And Will, I remember we were messaging during the game and it was like, well, we need two breaks. Like if we get broken, we need two breaks of surf. All right, cool, we need one break of surf. All right, that's about it. Um, but that was the only game that was like that. And Hypo typically will play like four or five games like that over the course of a year. Uh, I actually, quite frankly, missed the first 40 minutes of the Missouri game, like oh, 40 right game minutes of the Missouri game. No. Cause I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, I'm not super interested. And I'm checking my, and go check my phone. And I'm like, this is 52 to 10. What is this? <laughs> um, So I think I want to say during the South Carolina game, I was either talking to you or previous podcast um, Gavin. And I'm just like, yeah, they're going six and six. They're going six and six, and they're going to get and they're going to get either Kentucky or Ole Miss, and that's how the season's going to go. Cool. So, so on the on the defensive side of the ball, what I'm used to seeing from for is I'm used to seeing them force turnovers. So I talked about the Alonte Taylor pick a second ago. That's the thing I'm used to with Hypo's defenses, where they tend to play a little bit bendo break, but they're basically there to force turnovers. The thing that I wasn't expecting is they're also trying to force negative plays, which we saw. So for a team that was as thin as it is, they did a really good job doing that. Um, Also, as weird as it sounds, the solo tackling seemed like it was a lot better this year than what it was used to. Yeah. Like they asked players to make a lot of tackles in space, and by and large, they did. And I don't, I have to think back to when I remember seeing a Tennessee team going like, and I'm just like, no, they probably got that, cool as far as like any sort of, ta- any sort of tackling space.
0: I, yeah. I think that like over the course of the year, you almost, I think by like Kentucky, maybe less so against Georgia because they were Georgia, but probably by Kentucky, I started expecting that out of the out of the defense. Joel, you have a thought?
1: Uh, no, I'm sorry, but uh, Chris, you may not know this rule, but my rule in my house is if somebody comes in during the podcast <laughs> uh into my room they have to be on the podcast except that she just ran away from me so it's because
0: she knows the rule and she's she's aware of it and ran away
1: so she was in here for five minutes listening to that whole answer and uh then as soon as i uh, next time i'm not giving her a warning whoever comes (laughs) in it's just you got to be on
2: i wanted some instant feedback
1: I, the tennis analogy was great. I thought that was,
0: I thought that was excellent. I was trying to look up the, and we, we did a thing on this in the end of the Pruitt year, Tennessee ends. We we're talking about the defense Tennessee end of the year, plus three in turnovers in conference play. It's the first time since 2009 that Tennessee has been in the black in turnovers in sec play. They were in the Kiffin year. They were like plus six or seven. Then they were even in Dooley's first year and the negative in turnovers in sec play, every year for for 10 years at a rate I think of like minus 44 is the total over 10 years, so minus four and a half a year. So even as a defense that tried to – they got, got tackles for loss, they got more big plays, like just not being terrible in the turnover game and getting huge ones like the Elante one to, to break serve or – Yeah, Alante was in on the play, uh, the the play against Florida at the end of the first half where they stripped him in the red zone. And like that, even though ultimately that game went the wrong way, like that stopped the dam from breaking in that moment. There were just a couple of those that I think we didn't, we hadn't seen uh, in a while, hadn't seen under Pruitt uh, at least.
2: Yeah. So actually the other, the other smart, really smart Alante Taylor player from the Kentucky game, which I know we've talked about. Was Alante Taylor keeping a Kentucky player in bounds with like thirty-five seconds to go in the second quarter, forcing the last time at ten and ten Kentucky punt. Tennessee gets the ball. Actually, I think Tennessee got the ball with like thirty-five seconds. And under Pruitt, right, Neil going at halftime. Under Heupel, nope, going. I would have taken three. And I think that was. I think they scored on. I think they scored a touch, scored a touchdown on that last play, as I recall. Like, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a field goal. I think it was free point. I think it was like a free 7. But um while Will is looking that up, the other <laughs> thing I do want to bring up um the so this defense was predicated on forcing negative plays in some form or fashion and then if they can't kind of doing a bend don't break Ben, don't break. What drove us nuts? QB sneaks drove us nuts. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One was personnel, just the defense is super thin. One is actually a, oh, we don't, we did not do this a ton. Um, Matt Corral is really good at doing this where you have a quarterback who breaks the pocket, breaks the pocket, runs out to the side, fakes up and then fakes a pass to see what the linebacker linebacker outside of him does and if the linebacker bite and if the linebacker bites back he'll run and if the linebacker comes up expecting corral to run he'll just launch it over the t- pop it over the top so the other thing i can figure is as far as coaching went the thought was no stay with the receiver don't give up the easy 10 yard pass and if you give up a seven yard qb sneak then you just give up a seven yard qb sneak and that's really just it is a tough play to defend
1: yeah And if those, uh, you know, those seven yard QB scrambles, you know, when there are 40 of them, like against Florida or whatever, (laughs) it does add up it kind of breaks your back. But, uh, I think you're right about, uh, the, the defense just, um, they've, they were, you know, he said in his, uh, preseason stuff that, uh, we're going to be aggressive both on offense and on defense. And, and you're right it, it, with all the tackles for, for a loss that we had this year you know that that puts the enemy behind the chains and uh if you can get a snack uh, snap I, I'm hungry apparently <laughs> so but if you can get a sack uh you know that's a drive buster right there and that's you in in, in again the uh, tennis analogy which by the way I always think of the same thing during that Kentucky game we just, somebody just needs to break serve. Um, but a sack can break serve and then you get the lead.
0: I think if you, um, if you're looking at like stats, like for instance, time of possession, right? With Hypo, we know this is, this is a nonsense stat. And I can remember like my early days at rocket Top Talk. Well, I remember we played Oregon in, in Dooley's first year. And I remember writing something about time of possession and just being like, you know, this is absurd. Like, I know this can't mean it has to mean something. It can't mean nothing. And now I'm like, nah, I think it means nothing, you know? So it is as feel free to to enlighten us on time of possession, but also like what what should we going forward? Like, what are we not paying enough attention to that after a year watching this, we should pay more attention to? And are there still some things where we're like, no, man, that just doesn't matter anymore? Well, I have been beating the time possession doesn't matter drum
2: since I believe I started writing for Rocky Top Talk. And it took however many years. Right. But I am vindicated. I'm happy to be here. I will. That's a welcome. Welcome to the party. Right. Um, (coughs) Watching listening to uh, Gary Danielson in the SEC Championship game talk about time of possession between Alabama and Georgia and me just going like did you not see any of Tennessee games Tennessee's games at all this year including the ones you called was always a, was a always fun um as far as what so again we want to look at overall you want to look at overall drive performance you want we want to think about like think about breaking think about breaks of certain kind of the breaks of serve context um, I would not be super concerned about just I would yeah ignore the raw numbers ignore the raw ignore the raw yards numbers honestly at this point ignore the raw attempts they're not going to tell you anything um, you're going to look more at rate stats you're going to look more at things like success you're going to look things at more at more things like success rates so is tennessee able to run the ball is able tennessee able to run the ball for four or five four or five yards consistently cool um with hypo's offenses as you've probably noticed by now when they get a first down is when they immediately accelerate so they go relatively relatively fast honestly outside of outside of first downs within first downs you as a if you are a TV producer and you are producing and you were handling production for a t- for a Tennessee football game, picture in picture if there's a first down. Um, well, what touchdown was it that like ESPN just flat missed? Was that against Kentucky? Also, I That think was also so. against Kentucky, right? Yeah. Um, because they were broadcast, they were showing a full screen replay over for over a first down. Um, things that you'll have to. Stop doing. Quite frankly, bathroom breaks on offense. <laughs> right. Like you're just you just not like the thing's gonna be like five 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 minutes real time. Like you're fine. Hold it. It's cool. Um, I would be less concerned about also the number of plays that the defense has actually, which I wasn't have, wouldn't have expected. But considering that this is going to be about the thinnest Tennessee is they held up pretty well right like going into the back half of the year especially given that like they were also playing teams running 75 85 plays they held up pretty good like that solid
0: we'll take that um I thought so. I mean, I thought they held up well. I I think when you – actually, there's a whole off-season of content, which I'm sure we'll get to, to talk about that in these games, Pittsburgh, Ole Miss, Georgia, Alabama, kind of, that in all of these games, the defense played well enough to win, that the opportunities that Tennessee had to either win the game, Pittsburgh – or tie the game against Pittsburgh – win the game against Ole Miss, uh, tie the game against Alabama for about half of the fourth quarter, and to stay in it against Georgia, the opportunities that were missed were all offensive opportunities for the most part. The defense got enough stops uh, and enough stops late in the game, especially against Pittsburgh and Ole Miss, to give Tennessee a chance. So I think there's a whole conversation we'll have about, like, all right, why – uh the Pittsburgh one is simple you, you know he threw an interception uh Hooker's thrown into the fire there then we got a bad spot on the other one but some of the others are like all right how does there, there's a conversation here about how does Heupel's offense work when it's third and five and we've got to have it and we can't go fast because somebody faked an injury or or so like there's a lot of that conversation that's out there but I I am I mean even at the end, like you say, Georgia, I don't feel like Georgia beat us by whatever they beat us by because, you know, we got overly exhausted on defense. I think it's because we weren't able to convert those opportunities, which a couple of which were in the red zone, you know, late in the game. And again, it's Georgia's defense. Like you're asking for a lot, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged. I think by, by what we saw there.
2: Yeah. So if you are, discouraged by Georgia if you were discouraged by Alabama or something along those lines i would highly encourage you to go back and watch the play design of the offense in at least the first half of both of those games the plays that were called were fantastic georgia's just really good georgia's just got a bunch <laughs> of dudes <laughs> um Heupel is one I was not expecting Heupel to be as good at in-game play calling as he is. I would not worry about chronic problems with like inability to get third and fives after a um, after like a fake injury or an actual injury or you know somebody mysteriously cramping when it is I don't know like forty one degrees at seven p.m. Like, no, nah, man, it's cool. I have have you had any water today? No. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right, I get it. Um, but no, like so you'll, I mean, it's an offense that's designed to take advantage of space wherever, wherever it is. It's because of the tempo, it's designed to take advantage of defenses failing to immediately recognize and align. Unlike Butch Jones's one-yard swing pass swing passes to nowhere, these swing passes actually get like four or five yards. That's a nice change. Um, and why are they there? They're there because they because Heupel's taught the team to recognize the positional imbalance. If you don't have, if you have uneven numbers on either boundary, right, you just throw the pass immediately. You get the free yards and move on with life. Um, the other thing that they'll do is they also they will use the full field. Uh, and I think I've, there was one of the games where actually talked about this. I want to say, but you'll notice the wide receivers line up outside the numbers. And that's actually pretty rare for offenses. Normally, even your wide splits are going to be inside the numbers. Um, now, Tennessee will line up like right on the edge on both on both sides, so it does actually force defend force defenses to force like those cornerbacks out another four or five yards, which opens up little little channels. Again, the soccer analogy here is going to be channels, um, the spaces around the eighteen yard box that people can that people can run into, and you know if defenses, if defenses don't align correctly, like they're gone, right? So the, uh yeah, you saw against Missouri, right? <laughs> um, the 92 yard touchdown run is the first one that comes to mind. It's like, oh yeah, nope. You guys just didn't have enough numbers. Cool. That's seven. So the ability of this offense to swiftly punish defenses not immediately being ready to do the right thing. That will maintain until coaches can tell coaches figure out how to, how to, you know, how to respond to it. So interestingly, the bowl game is going to be an interesting test of this, by the way, because Purdue and Jeff Brom are going to have three weeks to figure out how to prep for those certain things.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it seemed to me uh, that their first play of every drive or at least every game is the swing pass out. To the actual sideline right like what you're talking about a super wide split um and i wonder if you know the defense has to know that's coming but it always works and maybe it's because of the positional uh, imbalance that you talked about but the other thing it does is that's what gets the tempo and the misalignment started for the defense because it shifts all of the defense to way Away from where the ball is going to be snapped next. Snap next, and if Tennessee can beat them back to the snap, then the defense is already on their heels because they're already uh, not lined up correctly. Just after that first play, I wonder why. I wonder if that's why they run that first play so often. So you actually break up a good point, which I didn't click to
2: me until the Georgia game and the, what Heupel does sometimes with the first drive is he kind of just pokes the defense to see where the to see where the holes are um, so for comparison like i think of jim chaney as a great as a pretty good scripter so you were likely to see something pretty strongly scripted in the first 10 15 plays with Hypo, you may not see a whole lot in those first 10 or 15 plays, but at that point he knows where he can go. So if you think about the Georgia game, right? A couple like that off the offense didn't really get moving for the first couple of drives. And then all of a sudden it was what big play, big play, sustain big play, sustain drive. Because he found the weakness. And just, up until what? Up until the Bama game, it was like us and Clemson who had any lead on Georgia like ever. <laughs>
1: That's like South- that's the only way to beat Georgia's offense or, or defense is to, is to not let him get set. It's like uh, everything has to be a fast break.
0: South Carolina game is a great example of this because Tennessee's first drive 14 plays, they never saw anything more than third and three, but it was, it was poke, 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 and it all worked. And then after that three plays touched it down. They had the throwback uh, across, across the field uh, five plays touchdown after the interception in the end zone. Three plays touchdown off the fumble. Uh, then a punt. Then five plays touchdown after that. And then eleven plays field goal. Like I, I, think that's that's a great like. It's, yeah. It doesn't have to just be an offense that hits home runs. So um, I would say, but before we go to basketball, last question on this is like what's what's the version of this that really works. Like what are we looking for whether it's next year or down the line? Like I know recruit better players is it's obviously in the equation, but like what's what's the next thing to say, okay, now this is really gonna work? And like what are we watching out for? What do we say, oh you know, like this this is danger, danger uh going forward? Yeah, sorry, the thing to watch out for is recruiting.
2: And <laughs> as me who does not care about recruiting. Hypo is not a good recruiter. He has not been a good recruiter. I really hope that gets better. I don't think he needs to, he does not need to recruit on the Georgia level to maintain maintain success. The schemes will play. I want to see the defense maintain what the defense is doing. Um, The team's a high floor team you run so many plays that you'll eventually get to the true talent level of your team. So, I mean, 6 and 6, 7 and 5 as a floor is not entirely nuts. And this is me, the semi-pessimist saying that <laughs> just because of how just because of how they play. So the question, so the problem would be that kind of end up in like a Glen Mason territory Glen Mason territory problem where like we're just kind of stuck in that area and the way to the way for Hypo to get better at that is to get better recruits um, to get to get additional players now the big thing that's changed since we talked about just purely getting recruits is we're also talking transfer portal like the offense can sell it. the offense can sell itself they can get they can get players um, will they get players i'm not i'm not 100% sure but I don't think the offense is going to magically turn into a slog. I think the offense is going to look like the offense. I think the defense will still be predicated around drive killing in some form or fashion. And I think those things will play.
0: It's going to be really interesting. Like it would be an interesting narrative. If a year from now, Tennessee is nine and three and we're all feeling great about life. Cause no one's been nine and three in a, in a regular season at Tennessee since 2007 and he's, cause I, I, you know, the recruiting conversation and none of us on this call are recruiting experts or recruiting enthusiasts even. So, um, but it's easy, I think to say, or at least I say it to myself, well, he, he's had this investigation. He's had those blood clouds, got a late start. Lots, lots of reasonable reasons for patience, but I'll be curious a year from now, if we're nine and three and he's, if he's also at the same time not recruiting at the level that Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt were able to recruit at at Tennessee, that would be a super weird and interesting conversation to say like, okay, the results are better, but the incoming talent plus or minus the transfer, per, transfer portal is slightly worse um, that we may be headed there. Uh, I would love to have that problem. I would love to have the Glenn Mason problem. Uh, that's you know we haven't we haven't come close to having the problem of do we fire good to get to great in a in you know as long as we've been trying to get this right. So uh, um, I don't know uh, that that would be that would be interesting to see. Um,
1: wasn't there wasn't that a, a criticism of Rick Barnes early too um, that you know he maybe maybe hypels. Uh, actually, you know, not breaking any rules. Maybe that's why he's not (laughs) recruiting as well.
2: So I I actually think UCF was going to get themselves in Glen Mason territory if Hypo would have stuck around a couple years. That's kind of my suspicion. Um, So to walk it way back real fast before we transition over to basketball, um, I also wrote for a fantasy college football site. Back in college and for a couple years a couple years after graduation. And went down to I went down to Orlando and went to and went to a UCF game. So we have this like weirdly concentrated like UCF friend fandom. And there was a weird set of frustration around that, actually. (laughs) Like, and I think it was because they got real close to the promised land with Scott Frost. And then Hypel was like just going nine and three and eight and four and barely winning the conference. And like That's still pretty good. Uh, I'm also a strong believer in the one per, like, obviously, rising tide cannot lift all boats in college football. UCF is probably good in part because Florida, Florida State, and Miami have been struggling so much. Um, If they all get good, I don't know what happens to UCF. And so playing that back for Tennessee, right? Like Georgia stable, Alabama stable, Florida just changed his head coach. Clemson lost its defensive coordinator. North Carolina had a butt here, I believe, is the technical term for that. Virginia's coach resigned. What Virginia Tech fired its coach? Like there is a lot of regional instability, and that creates a vacuum. There is space to there is space to move up.
0: I was trying to look and see the the one score game thing. I know that was, that turned some years. Hypo, not always great in one score games at UCF, not always bad either, but like I'm looking at them this year, you know, Malzahn. Uh, I think they had half of their games were one possession games and they went four and two. So, I mean, they're eight and four with a, with a, plus two record in one possession game so yeah it, it can get it can get narrow i like joel as the true host of this podcast with an excellent segue there by bringing up rick barnes uh which one completely key completely ignored <laughs> one key though for rick barnes and maybe this is a key for josh heupel is on the way of course barnes recruited these guys this level of talent at texas before but on the way to getting keon johnson jaden springer josiah james kennedy chandler these guys they hit gold on Grant Williams and they also turned Admiral Schofield was a Donnie Tyndall recruit, but they turned him, they developed him. So maybe if he comes back, maybe Hendon Hooker can be your, like your, becomes your poster child for this thing next year. And maybe that helps springboard something uh, going forward. Cause you gotta, you gotta do that. But I mean, tennis, yeah, like uh, switching to basketball, talent not not a question for for tennessee we, we want to start this there was a piece uh we've been talking about having this podcast for like three weeks and we we struggled with finding the right time to schedule it but there was a piece in the athletic uh two three weeks ago about the best jobs in college basketball and like i love the athletic i'm a paid subscriber you should be too it's 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 a good product but um i i think the it's like, what's the best places to coach in college basketball? Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. Like, it was not it, – it's, it's that list. And I'm not here to argue with you that Kentucky's not the best job in the SEC. But I do think it's a fun conversation to say, like, how far has Tennessee elevated this thing now? Even as a program that hasn't made it past the Sweet 16 under Rick Barnes and all that, how, how has Tennessee elevated this thing now to where, if we were to say right now, what's what's the second best job in the SEC? Tennessee's like, we're at least going to talk about Tennessee, right? And not just because Tennessee is, this is a Tennessee podcast. So Chris, I will go to you first. What is the second best job in the SEC?
2: So take a step back. Who's in, who's in competition for this position, right? It's probably us. It's probably Florida. It's probably Alabama because they have more money than God there and can throw money at money at, basketball and is and nato nato is doing a hell of a proof of concept of this and i don't think they're second but i'm going to throw lsu in there because apparently they'll just support their coaches through whatever so like (laughs) you are good on having on you know making sure that you've got that key administration support but they're probably actually not as good as one of the other ones i think i would probably still go florida narrowly with us third because they have titles and even though the titles have been the better part of a generation away they still have titles. Now, is that going to be true in four years? Probably not, because nobody who's going to be recruited is going to have been born when they've won a title. But
0: otherwise,
2: yeah, go ahead, sorry.
0: No, no, I was going to say one thing about those titles too, which, I mean, it makes sense. That's how they won two in a row. But like, there's great power when you are not Kentucky and Duke and, and all these guys that have all these guys but then they won two titles. And then, I mean, Al Horford plays minutes for my team right now, 15 years later, Noah and Horford were NBA mainstay. And and like there was no scenario where those guys were the best at their position in the league at any point in the last 15 years, but those dudes were around. And that to me, when you're talking about how to extend the life of a a program and have it ascend, Having those guys be so famous in college, and then having those guys, you know, you could turn them on and watch them at Noah for a decade, and Horford, you can turn them on and watch them on Boston right now. So, um, I think that's that's a piece for Tennessee. Like, we got Tobias, who now, you know, Tobias is a a 10 year vet in the league, which is strange. Um, (laughs) we, we got like Josh Richardson, really good in Miami, also on my beloved Boston Celtics trying to figure it out uh Grant Williams uh I, look I, I can't have a rational conversation about Grant Williams and the Boston Celtics but Grant Williams is uh, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA right now which is wild but you're not here to listen to this so we won't talk about it four out of seven Chris and I could talk about it right now <laughs> couldn't talk about it out off the air but like Tennessee needs to get in that conversation I think it's not just about making final fours. It's about having guys that connect back to your program so strongly that made like such an impression in college and then can be found in the pros uh, for for a long period of time. So, you know, one thing I think is interesting about this what's the second best job conversation is how much of it when you mentioned Alabama having more money than God. If, if you swap, of course, like swap out Kentucky and Georgia, because Kentucky's Kentucky and Georgia, even though they hired Tom Crean, Georgia is is struggling mightily in basketball. Other than that, it's pretty much the same programs, right? It's Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, Bruce is at Auburn. You know, maybe you swap Arkansas and Texas in it, but like that divide of, the haves and the have-nots, which is not always true. Ole Miss just won ten games, but you know what I mean. Like that—that that here's the blue-blood programs in football, and throw Kentucky in there, obviously, and take Georgia out. It's kind of becoming the same list a little bit to me. Which, which was shocking. Like for Auburn pre-Pearl and Bama, you know, two coaches ago, that's shocking to me. So that's that's what I see, anyway. So I would like to note that the terrible
2: Georgia team has beaten the only team from Tennessee it's played so far this year. <laughs> that would be Memphis, who they beat at home in a hilarious game. But otherwise, yeah, like that—that—that that, that is not a good team. I'm I'm sorry, guys. The um, oh, I sorry I am I like semi-intentionally distracted myself with thinking about the penny quotes following that game. Whole oh, buddy, if anyone has, um, so this is another piece on The Athletic. Seth Davis wrote it, and I don't think I can actually read any of the quotes out because they're all behind paywalls. But if you are subscribed to The Athletic and you have a desire to look for a series of quotes that combined the best bust tossing of Derek Dooley and Butch Jones, but they come out of the mouth of Penny Hardaway, you should go find this piece because, whole oh, I was pleased. I grew up in Memphis. I didn't realize they had buses there. I'm glad Penny found one.
0: I, I just, uh, I'm really glad Tennessee plays Memphis before they play Arizona. So Tennessee, we're recording this on December 9th. Tennessee's got not a not, not terrible UNC Greensboro team on Saturday. They've got South Carolina upstate on Tuesday. Who's, who's one of the worst teams in college basketball. And then in a in a really quick span, they've got Memphis on the 18th in Nashville, and then they've got a rapidly ascending Arizona team on December 22nd in Knoxville. So we can. Get, I'm glad we get a chance to get our feelings. You don't want to overlook Arizona, like not remotely. So I'm glad we we don't have the opportunity to do that. But this Memphis thing has changed from all right. We got to get these guys because I don't know when we're going to play them again. Now everybody's back in their feelings now, and we're not going to schedule this game anymore again. So, like, we got to get the last shot on these guys. They have been so bad (laughs) that, like, now it's turned into – Chris and I, every time we talk about this, I'm like, we can't lose to those guys. Like, not not because I don't want to get the last shot, but because it would kill me to lose to this kind of of Memphis team. So so talented, and yet, like – all the obvious pitfalls of talented team where you can't get these guys to like play together or like each other or or have their coach support them in public in any way so best as I can wait, wait, figure
1: time out time out yeah so uh, I lack all context for this conversation because uh, I have not I've I've been doing other things so um don't it, uh, don't like Read the quote the quotes verbatim, but uh give me the gist. What what's going on?
2: Sure thing. I was happy to do that. Was actually was actually just about <laughs> to do that. So let's back up a tick. Right. Um let's think about last year's Memphis team. Last year's Memphis team gelled really well. They were playing great. Unfortunately, they had lost by too much they had lost too many games to actually really make it to the really make it to the NCAA tournament, really make a good tournament run, didn't win it- at their conference.
1: And was it last year or two years ago? The uh, the come after me thing. I was were, before
0: that. That yeah. was the night the nineteen game, the Grant Williams Admiral Schofield game in Memphis, where we okay. beat them. Was guys were balling up their fists, and then when we okay. played them in twenty, <laughs> it was we couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and they beat us. And Penny was very respectful after the game or whatever. And then COVID, and then and so we did not play them. The game this year is the game that was supposed to happen last year. Okay, gotcha. So you have this
2: great gelled roster, right? And all of the, and pennies, you know, he gets out there, he recruits. So he recruited a couple of guys who were top who are, were initially projected in their respective top five top five um, lotteries. Uh Duran, whose first name I forget, and then Imani Bates. So Bates is actually a 17 year old who reclassified into this year. So he'll actually get two years in college. And both of these recommitments happened in like July of this year. So Penny went, let's throw the offense out. Let's redesign everything around these guys. And now the veterans are pissed best as I can figure. Um, So nobody has any idea what to do Penny is calling players out for being selfish, and not willing to get behind. Not willing to get behind everybody. Um, you know, oh, what, sorry. Let's see. I'm going to see if I can.
1: So his comments were all throwing uh, his own players under the bus. Yes. Not oh yeah, it, like, like it, it, and it's, anything.
0: it's like the you know if, uh, again if this is verbatim, Seth Davis, uh, uh you know, I apologize, but it was like if we played the players that want to win the most, we'd be undefeated. And then he threw in like, or maybe we'd have one loss because, because they got hammered by Iowa state by almost 20. And so like, but I mean, it was just a, it was, it was things you should never, ever, ever say to a reporter about your team ever. Like not even when the season is over, you should not say these things, yes. ever.
1: All right, so he's so, doing eulogies at these guys' uh, funerals. Yeah.
2: So <coughs> one thing was, so I can't, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to summarize this quote, but Penny was smart. He figured out that there was probably going to be some, probably going to be some little bit of jealousy. And he figured that they may not welcome, you know, the new guys with open arms, but he didn't think it was going to be like this. Buddy, you're the coach. You should have thought about this. Anyway, sorry, I have completely derailed. But the Georgia thing reminded me that that penny the again. If you miss the if you miss the bus toss if you miss Butch Jones's bus tossing bus tossing press conferences, go find that piece and be happy that it's not us anymore.
0: Yeah, it was it was both the Derek Dooley constantly saying we don't handle adversity well with at some point the understanding being it's your job, like make them handle adversity better. Like at some point, it's okay to say that after the first game at some point, it's your job to help them handle adversity better. And then the Butch Jonesness of <laughs> – throwing your team under the bus and then coming back at the end of the interview and saying, but it's all on me. It's on me. I take responsibility for these things. And it's like, no, it's too late for that man. So Memphis, uh, uh, they beat Virginia. Virginia tech is good. And they beat Virginia tech and they were five and zero. and then they got hammered by Iowa state and scored only 59 points. Then they lost at Georgia who is not a good basketball team. Uh, and then they lost at Ole miss. So they've, they've dropped three in a row. They get Bama right before they get us and i'm i'm so and they get they get murray state friday night murray state's not a bad basketball team either they get bama in the the pyramid or the, i know they're not in the pyramid the I FedEx, wherever they're, the bass pro wherever they're playing these days um that's on tuesday the 14th and then they get us saturday in nashville the 8th.
1: Wheels frozen up. But there's uh hold on. Say what? Uh, So you uh you froze. You froze uh shortly after my internet connection is unstable. Yes, I hope it's your internet connection and not just you. Uh but yeah, it was right after- That's what it told me. It told me my internet connection was unstable. Yeah, I'm it, not just it, volunteering a computer opinion. Computer or a voice in your head? <laughs> I'm not the guy to be making a mental health. <laughs> part, <right? laughs> Where's so,
0: what do you, Where do you want
1: me to start? Uh, I was right after the uh, Pyramid FedEx uh, Bass Pro comment.
0: Well, I'm glad we got that in there because that's the best part. Uh, yeah. So any, anyway, just just to say- you really don't want them to get blown out by Alabama because I don't, I don't want them riding into this thing on some six game losing streak, five game losing streak. And then, you know, nobody believed in us or, or anything like that. So I think to to bring it back to Tennessee, like one question we're trying to figure out here, and we really thought the Texas tech game would be helpful in this is okay. Like how good are we? Because you had Villanova, then you, turn around and really really carve up north carolina i mean just a just a thing of beauty and they really handled business against colorado that was a game where threes aren't falling but the defense traveled and kennedy chandler was amazing and so they get texas tech and madison square garden really good defense and you think to yourself okay i'm gonna learn some things now let me say <laughs> I We were doing job interviews uh, and that ran long. And then I came home late and I was talking to my wife and I had seen the score on the thing, but I just, I ended up missing it. And when I started looking at what had happened, it's the most relieved I have ever been to miss a game that we did not get blown out in. It just seemed uh, every time Chris is on, we have to talk about the Georgetown game and the Conzo Martin era, but like, it seemed like a cousin of that, at least with more weirdness but Chris who is intimately familiar with both of these games I will let you talk about it because I know nothing. So it was not
2: that game. (laughs) This game actually had like legitimately good team defense. Texas Tech is super long and super and does a really good job switching recovering off of switches. There were actually a few times I was sitting like going like at my TV. Sorry for anyone who's listening on headphones for that by the way. Uh, that That was a headphone check. But so Tennessee would like run a couple of guys through like screen, blend, like screen blenders to try and, try and pop an open shot. And you had maybe like an actual, an actual NBA window open. Yeah. Like quarter second to get a shot up and then you had somebody in your face. Yeah. And this happened easily a half dozen times. I think this is also the first time that Kennedy Chandler's really dealt with length on a college basketball course.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. The, the biggest thing we learned, I think, is that Chandler, uh, if he has a weakness, it's going to be arms. Um, <laughs> that, that whole team had arms, and uh, he, he could not figure it out all night. Now, nobody could get the ball in the, in the cylinder, not even the two teams that played after us. Something was weird in there. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was bizarre.
2: I think I called the I think I called the uh, game a tribute to the 19, 1996 Knicks on uh, Twitter, after regulation. Um, Alad Houston was in the house, like it's it's yeah, a I legitimate comparison.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you did miss a Will if you're. Uh, he's he, he looks like he's frozen again. So yeah, he's, he's looking frozen. like he's
2: looking like a Josiah James going up going up for a, a dunk, going up for a dunk. God bless. <laughs> that was good.
1: That's what I was gonna say. So yeah, that was a good observation. But but he missed it. Did you hear that, Will? Now that you're moving again. Yeah. The, the Listen, thing
0: I I you, through the, the, the quote unquote magic of
1: yeah. The, the, the there's no magic. magic. I'm so sorry. The only thing you missed was through the uh, quote unquote magic. <laughs> 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 he's got a mad face on now, and he's muted. So, <laughs> all right. So it's just you and me. Okay. All, all right. right Let's take it home. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no. So. I... <laughs> this, all right. Let me. All right. Here's what I'm gonna say, and then I'm just gonna give up the bandwidth. You. Can, I'll share my bandwidth with you. Uh, uh, nobody could get the ball in the basket, including one breakaway dunk by uh josiah jordan james which i don't know if you you have seen or read about or whatever but yeah he uh he he was he was he had the whole half of the court to himself and uh it looked like maybe he took off too early and realized he didn't have the height to to slam it and so he decided to switch to a layup and then he missed the layup it just it it, it's not only that he missed it's that he looked Really klutzy while he missed, and I love the dude. And and give him credit; he's the guy who hit the three pointers to send us to overtime, right? So, but that was it. Was just like it was a bizarre night all night long, just like you freezing, right? And every time you wanted to speak, so here, have some bandwidth.
2: So I actually, I, I think his, I, uh... I think his uh, shoe actually. My thought, my it looked like because I was watching it live. And I'm like, did he just blow his ankle out? And I actually think his shoe slipped.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, what he said uh, uh, afterwards was that it, he he thought that his uh, knee had hyperextended or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, who, what do I know? I'm, I'm sitting down, you know, on the couch. <laughs> Last time I exercised was you know, <laughs> walking to the car, <laughs> you know. All right. So, you, so will you got something? I say? did through
0: the magic of Twitter. I have seen that. Okay. No, I was gonna. If if this is working at all, I was gonna say through the magic of Twitter, I did see that play like a dozen times, and I wasn't looking for it any of those times. Like there were <laughs> there were a thousand accounts that had a good time with uh, with that. Uh, to be non-play. fair. Play. So. To be fair, I also had a good time with that play.
2: <laughs> I absolutely was. I was absolutely laughing at watching <laughs> watching that.
1: It was, but yeah, re- also remember that he got us to overtime and he had had yeah. a terrible night shooting and then he took that clutch shot and 44-44, there we are. I would say, I, I think that this
0: is, <laughs> sorry, this like this is not a loss that like, on Selection Sunday we should not be talking about this. Uh, maybe it's a loss that keeps Tennessee from being a one seed, but like, if you look, you know, in, in the Kin Palm stuff, Tennessee's got the best defense in the country right After now that game, out of that game, <laughs> uh, in the predictive bracketology stuff. Yeah. Like it, in, the, in the predictive bracketology stuff at Bart Torvik site, Tennessee's a three seed. Like it's, it, it shouldn't be something that hurts us or defines us in the conversation other than if we're lucky enough at the end of the year to say, can Tennessee get a one seed? but I don't, I don't, I don't think we're there. Uh, You know, I don't, I don't think we've earned the right to squeak into that conversation yet. I do think there's a chance, you know, Gonzaga's lost twice. Uh, Purdue looks nasty, but you know, the rest of this group, just about everybody you think of has, has taken one already on the chin. So other than Purdue, so um, and the defending champs. So, you know, it could turn into one of these years of, of, Um, a a lesser resume gets you in the conversation for, for being, you know, kind of, kind of up the ladder there um, a little bit. So here's, here's my question, especially coming out of that and coming into uh, an important stretch for them here. Like, all right, if this team hits threes, we feel like we can, we can handle business with just about anybody because the defense is good and it's there. Kennedy Chandler, there are going to be some non-Texas tech like teams that like colorado where it's just like all right we're good like chandler's got this so the question is like what's you know what's plan c like what what do we do offensively if threes aren't falling and a team can take away kennedy chandler like what do we where's where is john fulkerson is is john fulkerson a plan here again like where are we going with this when it's not working
2: I haven't seen enough to have a great feel for that, which, let me tell you, is a great podcast answer. Nothing says, hey, come here, listen, <laughs> listen to an expert, like, oh. But no, like, and we, we saw this last year, right? Tennessee needed additional plans and additional flexibility. I think we have two plans already, for sure. Um, and one thing I do want to note about plan A, about threes falling, that is a noted change in Barnes' offense going into this year. We are running three-point guard lineups. We're running... Kamwa, who I don't think would see the floor otherwise, as something like a as something like a stretch big. That's a new thing for Barnes. That is cool. I want to see that being kept up. That is a that is a great sign for future teams, even if it doesn't necessarily pan out in, with this team. Um, but honestly, yeah, I think if you're looking for a Plan C, it has to like so. By that same token, probably the Plan C looks like the offense we saw last year, probably, where, like, or a better version of the throw down, download, hope for the best offense. And I'm not super enamored about it, but sometimes, like, you have to do that. I don't, I think Kennedy Chandler do everything is going to be more viable in March than it is in December. I think, again, this is the first time I think he's run across a team that is, like, (laughs) every single buddy has, everybody has arms that are like at least 6'9", and they were just open passing. Like he was identifying lanes and they were just arms there this time and there weren't arms there before.
1: Yeah, the only thing I can think of that they could have uh, maybe tried is like, like Chris was saying earlier, um, they moved the ball well um, with, with screens. They got people open. It's just that they weren't open Long enough, um, so when they got the ball, what what looked to be like uh, an open three, um, they were contested threes. All of a sudden, with those guys who were super fast, super quick, and with super long arms, um, so the only thing I can think of that maybe they could have done better is uh, is pump faked uh, when those guys were coming at them, and then just step up and take a mid range. Too. I know that the plan uh, this year so far has been to copy what uh, made Alabama so successful uh, last year, you know, spread the floor and get either layups or threes. Um, There was a lot of complaints about the mid range game being overused, but I think maybe that would be a good plan C. I don't know.
2: I also just thought of the uh, YMCA ball.
1: Because
0: we get, we have some future YMCA all-stars on this team. We do. Oh yeah. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm enamored with Fulkerson. I have to remember like that was, that's probably an NIT team you know, two seasons ago, like where Fulkerson he's, he was playing a, and even, and they had Jordan Bowden still, but like even when they didn't want him to be, he was, he was their best plan A that was an NIT team probably um but i you know i think he's i think he's in the mix somewhere i think and this you know the last question on on all this is so like we went through this last year for the first time really with one and done guys uh kennedy chandler not going to be here very long i I think that's clear at this point in time so we got another one and done guy last year there's covid weirdness that was a fantastically timed weirdness weirdness. like
1: <laughs>
0: the uh in that in the Oregon state game last year um uh Pons got in foul trouble and it was like oh we're done you know like that that just once he's gone oh like we're done that's it and now you don't have Pons and yet they're still creating turnovers and blocking shots at a at a higher level than I would have thought at least so far you've got another one and done guy we're still trying to figure all this out like what's you know, I even hesitate to say what's the ceiling on on this team. We talked about like what what is it, what are, what's a satisfying season? What are we looking for for this from this team? What are what are you guys looking for from this this basketball team?
2: So I actually had to like think this out a little bit, and I'm probably looking for a combination of things, but I don't necessarily think I need all of them. So the combination looks like either a bearing witness to an incredible season from Chandler because I don't think we've seen like stellar, stellar point guard play in a long time. And like, as a proud, you know, well, not as proud now, but like the what Matt Williams last year as in like Matt Williams last year as a nationals manager, when Bryce Harper went completely off that year. Um, For the record, I still hate Matt Williams as manager anyway, but like watching that was still kind of cool. So that's a part. Um being able to lay a confident claim to being one of the top two teams in the SEC, ideally being the best. But like being able to lay in some form or fashion like a top two team in the SEC. Or, you know, Sweet 16 to beyond. I think I'd want to see two of those. And I don't necessarily care which two.
1: So in, in my uh, totally biased and selfish opinion, it's final four or bust for me, which I don't think I have actually uh, told this to anybody uh, publicly except for you know people offline. But uh, um, yeah, I'm going to be at the final four uh, this year. So I need them to be there. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to be at the Final Four is because uh, I won the uh, national prize in the CPS March Madness Tournament, uh, not by getting the best bracket, but by qualifying for the sweepstakes. And, and so they pulled my name out of a hat after I got in the top 10%. So I got a rogue and I got Final Four tickets and I need my team to be there uh, in New Orleans because we're already booked. Man, we're going and I don't want to be sitting there watching somebody else's team. Come on.
0: There's a fun version of this where I'm like, what's the worst? Like, is it like Kentucky Memphis, uh, LSU, like, like, you know, Kentucky, what, what the...
2: Kentucky, Alabama, Texas, Duke. Hmm.
0: Well, at least Duke, you might get some history, you know. You, yeah, you but do little, you want to like? You, you get to say you were there. Or, I guess if you're, do I you guess want to if say you're there,
2: there for that. No, it's actually, but you do raise a good point because you're there. That means you don't have to watch any of the broadcasts. That
1: is true. <laughs> yeah,
2: I that may not actually that may actually not, may not be that bad.
1: But if that's the case, we may drive the rogue straight to the to the airboat rides. <laughs> the, or whatever the, uh, the the alligator spotting spot is. Yeah. Go know. hang out with
2: Brian Kelly and work on your work on your Cajun accents.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah.
0: That's a whole other podcast. I, yeah. That's, that's I, yeah. So I I do in closing I got to Chris's point too about the SEC and when we're talking about these blue bloods, Kin Palm right now, SEC projections. Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, 12 and 6, LSU, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Florida, 11 and 7. That's half the league at 12 and 6 or 11 and 7. Like, there, maybe somebody will run away with it. Maybe it'll be us. That'd be great. But if not, like, it's going to be, it's a good league this year. Georgia's bad. Uh, I get my requisite words in here about Konzo. I'm worried about Konzo. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, South Carolina's not a good time playing those guys. And everybody else, even Stackhouse at Vandy, Frisky, Scotty Pippen, like good, like, you know, anyway, that's going to be lots of fun. But before we do that, Tennessee's got to get through. They got to get through Greensboro and South Carolina upstate. Then they got to get through the vaunted Memphis Tigers who hopefully will not find themselves or or come to any spiritual deities bef- between now and december 18th uh so anyway uh gentlemen a pleasure this is a lot of fun uh i enjoyed it. Uh, chris thanks so much for coming on and uh, and being on with us uh here again it was awesome
1: yeah yeah
0: absolutely So uh, on our site right now, Bowl Pick'em Contest is up there. You can jump in that. The Bahamas Bowl, I believe, is the first one. That is a week from – we'll publish this Friday morning. That's a week from today on the 17th. You can get in our Bowl Picks. We'll keep chasing down Purdue. We'll keep chasing down the Vols uh, in basketball as they keep doing this. And so for Joel Hollingsworth and Chris Pinley, I'm Will Shelton, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast.